0: Hey, hello everyone, welcome to the Chabura and thank you for joining us for part two of our new and unique series with Arosh Bet Midrash, Senior Rabbi of the SP p Communities of the, U- of the UK, Rabbi Joseph Dweck. In this three-part series titled Misconceptions 2.0, we will unpack and offer a perspective on key terms and concepts in our Torah. Specifically tonight, we will be diving into Bitachan and Hish uh, For those who missed part one of the series, uh, do not fear, all of our Shurim are recorded and available after on our website. Uh, with that said, thank you all for joining us live and on Zoom and uh, all those who will be watching uh, later. And thank you so much, Ribi. The floor is yours. Thank you so much, Rabbi Ohad, as ever, for your introduction and to everybody who is here in person and virtually on Zoom. Uh, and yes, we're going to be, hopefully, uh, exploring tonight uh, the issues between hishtadlut and bitahon what that means is there is Bitahon and there is Hishadlud. We were just speaking here a bit early, preliminarily. Bitahon literally means security, right? So when I when a kadosh Baruch who says you will she bishabtem betah, when it says you should bishabtem Torah, for example, betah means you will sit securely, you will live securely. So when I say, when I use that word uh in the form of trust, right, that I, I am Boteah. Which is the way in Hebrew I would say that I trust you. Yeah. What I'm essentially saying is that I feel secure in you, in whatever capacity I feel secure, right? So that I am secure in that you are going to keep my secret, you are going to be there for me, you are going to come through, you're going to pay, you're going, whatever it is, there's security in that. So that's literally what the word means, pitahon. So when it says that somebody, I didn't put any psukim. Except for the psukim that we're going to examine on these on these pages, I'm quoting you psukim, right? But there would be exo- I would have to have a whole separate uh, page just with psukim because the concept fills Tanakh. It fills the Nevi'im certainly throughout uh, uh, Tehillim and, and the and the Nevi'im and so on. One of the psukim and Tehillim is that a person who puts his security in God, right? Meaning God's his security system. And interestingly, there is a halachic Response up, that's written by several poskim, Hacham Vadia wrote one as well, Yosef, as to whether it's mutar for us to get health insurance or should we just trust in God, right? Should we just have bitachon in God? And they, of course, all say, yes, it's okay to get health insurance. But the question is why? And why should it be a question in the first place, right? That, that we should do this. So we will explore some of that tonight, right? And I hope that in the principles that we Hopefully, come to discover tonight, it will become more clear why these things are allowed. Why the question we were talking earlier about, you know, why do I need to have an army and get ready for war? Why do I need to have a doctor and and uh, go to you know go to 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 medical uh, uh, you know consultations and advice and 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 have surgeries and so on and so forth? Why do I need to do those things if I'm supposed to trust in God and God's supposed to do these things for me? Yeah, so we're going to have to be able to understand this to whatever degree we can understand this, and I think that we will come out with a, a working framework for tonight, and I'm going to use an episode in Torah to illustrate it, right? And from this, I hope that we'll be able to gain a working framework. When I say working framework, it may not answer all of the detailed questions, but I believe that from it, we can answer the questions, right? In other words, it gives us also a, a perspective from which, right? A, a coordinate from which we can answer the questions, right? So it gives us at least somewhere to begin to be able to know where our search should should come from and what 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 it should what it should involve. So beta is security and the question with regards to security and trust, right? So also when I talk about trust, I talk about a trust fund. I talk about holding holding something in trust. We talk about trustees. Yeah, it's the same kind of thing, right? Uh, I put trustees essentially hold the security of the entity in their hands, right? And the entity is in their trust, which is why they're called trustees. Uh, the trust funds hold the money in trust, right? Until someone is ready to access it and, and all of that. So that's the idea of bitahon, right? And so the question, of course, is to what does trusting in God look like? Practically, what does trusting in God how does trusting in God manifest in my life practically? And that ostensibly comes to the question of this idea of hishtadlut, which interestingly is not an explicit idea in Torah. In other words, if you look throughout all of Chazal, to look at this this, this word hishtadlut, the way that we understand it, which the way that I understand we understand it in, in, in um, you know, modern Orthodox Judaism, is that I've got to do my bit. Right? You know, how much hishtad, you have to do your your you have to do your what does that mean? Yeah. Well, interestingly, that word is not found in the way that we talk about it today. Anywhere. Uh and, and what do we find? We find right? In, in a place where there's no no men, right? No people standing. You try and be one, right? You you do you do your best. There's a lot of hishtadil on very specific things, but there's not this. Concept, this overarching concept of hishtadlut, right? Do your bit. And I think it's important to recognize. Yeah. And one of the reasons why it isn't there is because really the question with regards to Torah is not so much about hishtadlut, but about freedom and life. So, what does Moshe say to us before he dies? He says, Look, you've got in front of you two things you've got Chaim and Mavid. There's life and death. Choose life. Now, I always point out, right, it's important to recognize that Moshe does not say choose to live. He doesn't say, excuse me, he doesn't say, which is what he could say. Choose to live, doesn't say that. He says, choose life. So that you should live, which seems to be a redundancy. Yeah? I mean, obviously, I'm not going to choose life so I should die. And the point of that is, is that he's talking about life as a noun, not as a verb. There is this thing that we call life. you need to live it. You have to live it in every way that it ultimately comes to you. You have to be able to live your life in your fullest in the best and po- best possible way, which is the ultimate uh conclusion to freedom, right The whole point of Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim is freedom. the whole point of freedom is in a nutshell right that's basically what it is that we're supposed to do, which goes all the way back to this point uh in in Torah, which starts with, again, I, I, again I, I don't remember where I said anything, but I don't think we've learned very much together in this particular context. I know that we've had other kind of shiurim together, but it's very important to recognize that the first word that God utters in Torah is Yehi, be. He says it to light, but it doesn't matter. It sets the tenor for everything that comes after that. That's HaKadosh Baruch Hu's ultimate primal charge to everything, right? Be. And everything just responds, right? Everything starts being the way that he says be. And then to, to Abraham, right? First thing that God says to Abraham, lech lecha, go for you, Abraham, right? You have to go and live your life and be who you are. And so I'll help you, but heyei be a bracha. Yeah, Be. So this is, the, this is the trend without getting into much of that. And that's obviously what it means is to live your best life. As Oprah Winfrey might say, you know, you, you live the best version of yourself that you possibly can. And in that, we believe that HaKadosh Baruch Hu helps and supports us because he made us to be, he didn't made, make us to fail, he made us to succeed. And if we're working genuinely on our own success, he's going to help us to be able to succeed. It doesn't mean that it's going to be a cakewalk. There may be some challenges that we have to have along the way that uh, will draw out the whole uh, elements of our being, right? That otherwise would lie dormant in, in, in us, you know, never really being challenged to be expressed and come out and, and, and all that. So hishtadlut is a new word. Hishtadlut is, well, do that, right? Try to live your life That's the way you're supposed to live your life. But really what it is, it's a question of freedom. So the real question is not hishtadlut in bitachon. The real question is freedom in bitachon. That was, if I'm supposed to give everything into the hands of God, and I'm supposed to trust in him in all things, Right? Well, where do I come in with regards to that? Where where does my work come in? How how does my freedom, my freedom of choice, my agency of life, my capacity to act and manifest destiny, you know, as, as it were? Where does that come in? Are you with me? Right. Is this resonating? Right. So do you see kind of like how how these things kind of run together? And that's really what we're going to look at tonight to be able to understand how we might understand these things running together. Yeah, Because it still comes back to the questions of, do I need to prepare an army? Do I need to go to the doctor? Do I need to do those things? Or do I simply trust in God and leave it to him? When do I leave it to him? And when do I act? And that's the fundamental question. So before we get into the, like Ohad said, diving into the the issue, and we're going to dive into Sukim, I wanted to read with you uh, one paragraph, it's, it looks like two on your source sheets, but it's really one paragraph. Uh, it's just for whatever reason, Safari has it uh, separated into two. Where I felt we couldn't really talk about Bitahon, and not read the Chobot Alevavot, that famously has a Sha'ar Bitahon, right? A whole, there's, a whole, there's a whole section of this book of Rabinu Bahia bin Pakuda, Spanish, right? 10th, 11th century, uh, who wrote tells us what is the duties of our heart right? what are we obligated to do in terms of our hearts and minds with regards to our involvement with God and our involvement in the world and our involvement with ourselves and he writes an entire chapter on Bithahun and so I highly suggest you read it uh, because we're not certainly not going to uh, treat it exhaustively tonight in any way shape or form but he does Right? He, he does, uh, again, not that he needs me to say this, but he does, he does a phenomenal job of going through all of the details and elements of Bitachon and how it is that we should orient towards it. But there is one thing that he says at the opening of the first perik uh, that I wanted to read with you. Because he talks about what it is that we need in order to be able to trust as human beings. And he says, this is, by the way, uh, Rav Kafich's translation, because Rabino Bahieh Ibn Pakuda wrote the whole wrote in Arabic, like all Sephardi Jews did, right? That was they they wrote in the vernacular. So this is a translation of Rav Kafir. Rav Kafir says, right? The the nature of Bitahon. I love this language. What does he say? He says he says. The nature of trust is the calm of one's soul. You hear that? How beautiful that is? He's not talking about what does it take to trust. He he does that later. No, he says, what is the experience of trust? What does trusting feel like? And he says, trusting feels calm and content. There's a rigua, right? There's a soothing, there's a calm of the soul. That is boteach, that trusts, and the leaning of his heart, literally, right? Upon the one in whom he trusts, right? So it's essentially saying, I'm leaning my heart on you. And another way of saying it is, I'm securing my, my life. With you. And when I can genuinely do that, right? That's all he's saying. He's saying, when you can genuinely trust, there is calm. And we're going to explore that calm. Because really, if it is true, there is nothing else to do. That's the point, right? If it's not yours, it's his, whoever it is, right? He's not talking about God here necessarily. He's just saying what trust feels like. So he's describing trust. And trust is where you know that some, someone, yeah, is sturdy enough, strong enough, reliable enough, caring enough, empathic enough, all so and so forth, so, 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 that you can lean on that person securely. No, they will not drop you. Right? So it's like a trust game where you fall back, you know, you hold the person. yeah. Yeah, it's a phenomenal game because you we realize how little we trust anybody. Yeah, And he does, and you do this, and notice what he says, <laughs> that you feel this calm, trust, and so on and so forth, in whatever issue it is that you are trusting the person with, right? So one of my favorite, I said this many times in class, right? But one of my favorite uh Forms of uh, figures of speech or idioms or whatever you want to call it terms that I ha- that people use here in the UK that they do not use in America. They say it differently, but it just doesn't have the same uh, ring or meaning to it. Is that you know, when you're dealing with something and you have to do it with other people, and somebody says you leave it with me, right? <inaudible> no, they do not say it with America, they will say I'll take care of it. Right, which is a very, very different thing than saying "leave it with me." Very, I've never heard in all of my years; I've never heard anybody say "leave it with me." And, but there is something very beautiful about that statement, and I find, in all honesty, nine times out of ten, people don't say it unless they really believe that you can leave it with them and they will take care of it. Right? People don't tend not to abuse that that statement, um, and and what it means is. You do not have to worry about this, I will, leave it with me, right, and it's a beautiful thing for somebody to say, right, it's, it's a wonderful thing to get when you realize, oh, my God, oh yeah, okay, I can leave with you, I will leave it with you, right, That's, that involves trust, that when this person says, leave it with me, they are going to take care of what it is that they say they're going to take care of, and I do find, like I said, that people use it sparingly, they don't, they don't, they don't throw this around all the time, yeah, I'll take care of it just means I'll do it. <laughs> you don't have to do it. It's not the same, right? It doesn't have that same trust and where you can you know you can you know rest assured. Uh, in any case, this is what he's saying. and he says <laughs> And you know that this person that you're trusting in is going to do this or going to provide this security for you to the degree that they are capable, right to the degree they are capable, and to what is appropriate for you. Writing, and it's going to be so that's what trust is, and he says, he says but the 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 foundational idea through which the trust will come to the person who is trusting is that if this were to be missing this fundamental point the um Trust could not be had, right? It wouldn't, it wouldn't function. You need to know, you need to be secure in the, uh, uh, the, uh, in the one that you are putting your trust in, that he will indeed do what it is that he said he would do. So you need to know that whatever it is that this person says this person is going to do that you're trusting in, or this individual is going to do what you're trusting in, will actually do it. Yeah, And do what he accepted upon himself to do. Not only that, but with the best intentions. right, Knowing that he's going to do it appropriately for you. That even if he had not completely, uh, you know, uh, 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 what's it called? Explicitly mentioned that he was going to do this, this, and this. Included in the security is that you can, you can rest assured that they're going to do the right things, right? going to make the right decisions, that when you leave it with this person, this person knows how to deal with it, even though not every single I is dotted and T is crossed and, every, and everything is, that's part of it. So this is very beautiful, right? This is the of Bahiyyah introducing the concept of trust, right? And what it feels to, feel, to be secure in trusting someone. This is what it should look like. So when we say that we're trusting in a Kadosh Baruch this is what it should look like. That I know that when I leave it with him, when it is appropriate to do so, that I can leave it with him. And that he will take care always. And that's what it means to be to be Right. So, yes, that in and of itself is 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 a challenge for us because, like I said, we can't even fall back when a guy, when somebody's standing back, they're saying, I'll catch you. Right. We can't do it. Yeah? So with regards to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, obviously what it requires is for you to know HaKadosh Baruch Hu so well that you therefore are secure. Right? And there are psukim that show that as well. Right? That the one who is Yodea HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one that that can be Boteach HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If you're not Yodea HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you can be Boteach HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So so the question is, uh, well, tell me. I'm sorry, your name, first name, Nicole. Okay. So Nicole raised this issue, right? And she said, you know, people say that it's very well known. Everybody throws it around that that God does not uh, put you through what you can't handle. Right? Doesn't test you with what you can't handle. And she she said she raised she has issue with that, which is acceptable. I could understand why somebody would have issue with that. What I said to her was that. It is, however, a Torah idea that Rakadosh Baruch Hu will not bring you through something that you are not capable of doing. Yeah? And what we're going to look at in this story is the that idea being brought to the brink. Being brought to the brink. And how it is that it's it's dealt with. Right? When you are actually, when you do actually find yourself in a situation in which you just don't have what is what, what what it takes, right? It doesn't seem like we have what it takes. Now, before we get into the story, just to show you where in Torah, right, one of the places in Torah, which is probably the best known place in Torah, where it is that we have this, is at the opening of Parashat Beshalach. In the opening of Parashat Beshalach, it says, right. first thing it tells us is that the nation's leaving. Uh, Egypt, and God did not allow them to go towards the territory of the Plishtim, the Philistines, right? Ki <inaudible> amar Elohim, because God said right, to himself, <inaudible> The nation will go straight out of Egypt. First thing that they're going to see is war, because they're going to have to fight the Plishtim to get through, and they'll go back to Egypt. So what does God do? He says to Moshe, he says, turn the nation around, we're going to go a roundabout way. We're not going direct to Which obviously begs the question, you're God. Can't you just power them through the shtim? And the answer is no, they're not ready. I'm not going to bring them into a place that they are not capable of handling. So we're not going that way. We're going to go another way. And from that story we simply learn that Akadosh Baruch who doesn't put people in places where is, they're not capable of dealing right it's not he's not uh, you know god is not also it would imply that god is uh, you know sadistic and he isn't so will with that framework let's have a look at the story so this story is the story of when the people complain for meat it's a very famous story they're in the desert and uh they they basically say to Moshe, we're sick and tired of this man business, right, that keeps falling out of the sky. I'm not gonna go through all the Psukim with regards to that. We remember the food in Egypt. It was so great. We had a whole bunch of we had cucumbers and, and fish and whatnot, you know, and this and all we've got now is this man, this man, which is nothing. It's lechem It's this light, light, airy kind of whatever bread kind of thing. And they weren't happy with it. They had to do all kinds of things with it. If they wanted to bake, they baked the man. If they wanted to roast, they roasted the man. If they wanted to spread it on their, you know, whatever, they didn't have anything. So they're complaining. And what we're going to look at now is the next part I separated it, so you see, it starts by Ishma Moshe. By Ishma Moshe et buchelim ish Moshe heard all of the families. Right in Israel, crying. Everybody outside their tents. They're all sitting there, kvetching. Every single one of them. Now I want you to pay very. We're going to have to pay very close attention to the words here. What is God's response to this? God's angry. He's angry. He's he's not just angry. He's very angry. Right. Moshe on the other hand is not angry doesn't say him being angry at all. It just simply says, Moshe ra. In the eyes of Moshe, this was bad. This was a bad situation. Now, we would assume that the bad situation is, is similar to God's bad situation. What is God getting angry at? What's God getting angry at? The people aren't grateful, they're, they're, they're complaining, and we see that he responds to that. So God's angry, Moshe sees this as being raw. We would assume that he's seeing the same thing as being raw. But what we're going to see is that he has a completely different response to it. To him, the complaining is a problem, but that's not what's bothering him right now. Something else is bothering Moshe, and this is what it is. Vayomer Moshe el Adonai. So Moshe doesn't say anything to the people. He turns to God. And he has a bone to pick with God. He's angry. He says, How could you do this to me? Why have you done ra? Why have you done this ill to your servant? So notice the people are complaining. God's angry at the people. Moshe is upset with God which is a a bit of a curveball, right? What's happening here? (laughs) Why haven't I found favor in your eyes? What have I done? Basically he's saying, how could you do this to me? What have I done to you? (laughs) Now I want to also point out to you, right before we go on, this is the single most severe response that Moses has to God in the entire Torah. He literally, he comes very close to having a complete breakdown over here over what barbecue seriously the people want a barbecue he can't handle it he can't handle it the golden calf he manages the 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 the, the spies he manages the the you know the stuff that goes on with with the uh, moab and the women and bilam and the, he manages all of that right he, he has a fire. He has the go- a barbecue complete and utter breakdown he can't handle it and, and look how severe it gets right He's, he's complaining to God about his job conditions. He says, how could I not, why didn't I not find favor in your eyes? That you place the burden of this entire nation on me. Uh, genuinely, I mean, is, is it just me that you would expect that if he had this gripe, he would do it at different points? There were plenty of other opportunities for him to say, they're too much for me. It's here. Have I conceived this entire nation? <speaking in Hebrew> Did I give birth to these people? <speaking in Hebrew> that you're telling me, hold them all in my bosom like like a nursing mother holds an infant. And then, finally we see what bothers him. <speaking in Hebrew> Where am I supposed to get me? <speaking in Hebrew> to give to this entire nation. And they're sitting there crying, telling me, give me meat. So it's very interesting. Very, very, we're going to continue, but I just want to pause. Very interesting. The people are complaining, and he's angry at God. That they're complaining for this. Because what does he see fundamentally? How could he complain to God of what the people are complaining about? What are you going to do? What's God going to do? The people are complaining. What am I supposed to tell you? What, what, What is his problem here? Before we go further, what is his problem fundamentally? What must it be? What is it? I'm not sure that that's the problem. Think carefully. What is the motivation for Moses here? It seems quite odd that the people are complaining for something. They're being petulant. right? They're being difficult. And Moses has a severe gripe against God saying, how could you do this to me? How could you do this to me? How could you put me in this position? And what's the position? I have to go find meat now. Where's the butcher? I don't, I don't have any. Uh, what's going on here? You feel, he definitely feels inadequate, yes. And he's blaming God for that. Why is he blaming God for that? How does Moses feel right now? You're right, he feels inadequate, but let's talk it out, right? Put yourself into his position. What is his gripe? He Feels let down. And what's the letdown? Let this happen if I thought you trusted for this not to happen. Why? I'm a bit like this is the first time maybe think about something. Well that's what I'm here for. It's like motion like they've asked me something, I can't get it, I can I get it from it's almost like then what the next stage? Oh, how are you gonna give it to me? Which is Ex- Ah, ah day. Ah, oh. So you're saying the next stage is God, how are you gonna give it to me? Interestingly, Moshe is not saying that. Interestingly, Moshe is saying, How am I gonna get it? He's saying putting a position, people are complaining for me, I don't know. Oh, yeah, my- right, but what's why is Moshe simply not saying, Listen, I obviously can't get it. You know, this is this one's for you, God. He's not doing that. I'm ah, I'm glad you brought that up, right? Because you would think that this is a throwback. But there are fundamental differences here. And we're going to look at them, okay? You look at them because there's fundamental differences, not only in terms of how Moshe speaks, but how God responds. Okay, so these are fundamental. But before we get there, I just want you, because I can tell you all of this and go home. What I'm what I'm saying is I want you to do a little bit of this so that you can own this a bit, right? Because I don't want to just say this is my thoughts and and. I want you to look at this. I think I can still now very much I am the Lord of God who I've had that you know Amarana, the Lord of that, and and it and he just feels yeah, he feels that that he's had this secure feeling in God and this is not Right, and why is it not? That's that's yeah, that's a big yeah. part. Why is it not? I'm asking. Okay, so we have to that's a question, correct? Why is this such a big thing? Why is a golden calf manageable, right? Where God's saying, I'm going to wipe all the people out and <laughs> start with, and that's manageable. This is not manageable, right? A of the this is a of In that, In that he can't provide for him so him. there is an assumption here, right? Yeah. What is the assumption? To do it. Yes, yeah. good. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so let's. If I had a white, white boy, I would write this on the board so that it's there for us because you need to hold this, yeah. Which I don't, so I won't. the what what right, right so let's lock that in and remember this, right? He believes that he needs to do this. This is part of the job description, right? This is in the fine print. So when he signs the contract at the burning bush for the job, it seems like it's supposed to include uh, complaints for meat. Right, or whatever the scenario might be, but it seems like this is supposed to be included. And Moshe clearly assumes that this is this is included. And that is, of course, why he's going back to management and the guy who hired him, right, God, and saying, this is not right. It's not just because you've you've hired me for a job and I simply am not capable of doing this job. You haven't given me the tools to do it. So you're essentially making a mockery of me. Right? Because that's the only other alternative. That Rakadosh Baruch who knows Moshe can't do this, and yet has put him into a position that he can't do what it is that he needs to do in order to be able to deal with the people. Because fundamentally Moshe knows the people are going to complain. Of course they're going to complain. They're complaining for me. He doesn't have a problem with the people. He can't believe that this has come out. right? That it's come to a point where the people now need to have meat. Goes back to the man. So you're the one who decided to give them man. Right? Without uh, capacity for me. Don't you know that they're carnivores? So how am I supposed to deal with this? And he's getting and that's why his first words to God are, "What? how could you do this to me? So literally he says to him. Why did you do so hard? Why did you do such a bad thing to me? Have I not found favor in your eyes that you're mocking me? You're putting me in this horrible place. And then he says to him, this is beautiful, because what he says to them is, what he says to Baruch Hu is, the, the analogy that he gives is beautiful. He says, You asked me to carry this people like a nursing mother. I can give milk, I cannot give meat. And you're mocking me by making me give them meat or putting me in a situation in which they have to give me. And that's why he says, I'm say how many to your neck.'" Right? You've asked me to hold them like a nursing mother carries an infant. They're acting like petulant uh, teenagers. If they're infants, I will carry them. But I can't do this. Are you with me? Do right? you see what's happening here? So Moshe's problem is not with the people. Moshe's problem is with God. And he's this is the only place where he speaks directly. to He says, how could you do this to me? And the thing that he's got a problem with is God has put him in a situation that he can't handle. Yeah? And this is what it is. And, uh, and Moshe Rabin was outraged because it's such a pursuit point. You're going to put me in a situation I can't? What, that's sadistic. That's just wrong. How could you do such a bad thing to me? You're not that kind of God. So Moshe is, is horribly upset by this. And, and he goes further. And then he continues. And he says, I can't do this alone. I'm not. I just don't have the tools to be able to deal with everything that these people are going to throw up to me. It's too much for me. That's literally what it means. It is too heavy for me. I can't handle it. I can't lift it. Or another way of saying is, I can't bear it. It's literally what Moshe is saying. I don't have what it is that it takes to be able to deal with this particular challenge. And 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 in all honesty, God, that's just wrong. He's, he's, and then he says even further, and if this is what you're going to do to me, if this is how you're going to treat me, kill me now. You might as well just kill me. Why? If I have found favor in your eyes, please take my life let me not see my own wretchedness. Right, so this is very powerful because what Moshe Rabin was saying to Akadosh Baruch Hu is you are supposed to be the God of life. You're supposed to be Ubaharta Bachayim. You're supposed to be You're supposed to be Yihi. And you put me in a situation that I am completely and utterly incapable of doing. If you're going to do that, you might as well kill me. Because what is this? I mean, and that's why, by the way, Nicole. That this concept is a concept. Because based on our understanding of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if we are correct in our understanding of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to put a person in a situation that they cannot handle, right, and expect them to handle it, is sadistic. And it, it goes against the entire nature of life, and the cultivation of life, and sport of life, and so on and so forth. And really, it's exa- this is exactly Moshe's feeling. It's a mockery. You're mocking my life by putting me in a thing and laughing at the fact that I can't handle it. So, unfortunately, I don't have the rest of it here. I don't know why I got cut off, but uh, I'm going to tell you how this continues, right? You should know how this continues. So, going back to the burning bush, okay? What happens at the burning bush? Moshe says similar things, nothing near this. God says, Moses, I've got a job for you. I need you to get the people out of Egypt and bring them into Canaan. Okay. Moshe says, I, I'm I'm not the right guy for the job. Moshe says, said, Moses, I'll I'll help you. And Moshe says, No, I get that. No, I really do. But I there's more to this than just I mean, there's many reasons why I'm not the right guy for the job. I, I can't speak well. I don't think paros are ready to listen. I, I don't have what it takes. Goes on and on about this. And Moshe says, ah, Gadosh Baruch Hu, says, okay, look, I'll send your brother to help you. How about that? And I'll be with you. And I'll... and, and also Moses, I mean, you know, who made the mouth? Right? And who, who made speech? I, I did that. I'm telling you. I manufactured it. I, I know how it works. I can help you with it. I'll, I'll help you. And then Moshe just says, send someone else. And then God, God, God gets angry. So interestingly, Moses there is expressing a certain level of false humility at the very beginning of his career. At right? this very beginning of his career. And he's saying, look, I, I don't think I'm the right guy. And HaKadosh Baruch is saying, no, no, you are the right guy. And whatever it is that you're missing, I will support. Now get out there. What Moshe should have said was, thank you for your support. HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I'll do this. But he doesn't. He keeps pushing back. And that's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu gets angry. Because he keeps saying, I'll send you your brother. I'm going to help you with this. I've got your back, and Moshe says no. Here, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't say, Moshe, I'll help you. You've got this. What HaKadosh Baruch Hu says here, beautifully is, I'll take care of it. Leave it with me. And Moshe doesn't even, it doesn't even register for Moshe. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't say, Moshe, don't worry. You've got this, right? What he says is, I'll take care of it. Does the hand of God fall short? I will make sure to get the meat. I'm going to get it. And then Moshe again says, later he says, He goes on and says, What am I going to get? All the fish of the sea, all the all the animals. Thing. Is it going to be sufficient for them? Even if you say you're going to get it, how are you going to get it? And then says, I said I'm going to get it. Do I need to tell you how I'm going to get it? I will get it. And he says, uh, then, uh, who deals with the people, because he's still angry at them, right? He deals with the people. He says, look, uh, you guys, you with your barbecues, you'll have barbecued not one day, not two days, not a week for a month. It's going to be coming out of your noses so much, right? That you have so much meat. You'll question again whether you want to, you know, talk to me that way and deal with things this way. So, uh, who deals with them directly, right? He just says, Moshe, tell them this. So it's very important to recognize what's happening over here. And I genuinely think it's one of the most beautiful, beautiful lessons in the entire Torah. Here is not the same as the burning bush. Here what HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe is, Moshe, you don't have to do it. I'm going to do it. Can you let me do it? And Moshe finds it very difficult to let HaKadosh Hu do it. I'll, I'll open up and read it for you inside. I'm sorry, I thought that I put it all down, but it's apparently not all there. Take a look at this. No, I've got it, I'm okay. Yeah. So he says to So his first response is, This thing about you doing all this on your own, I'm going to get you help. And he says, Get 70 people. That's on the pages here, right? I'll come, I'll speak to you and i'm going to draw from the Nevo'ah that i give you and put it onto them so this is broadening moshe's responsibility for the for the people and then he says elam tomar is pasuk lemahar basar says prepare yourselves tomorrow you're going to have your barbecue that you wanted because you cried in the ears of God saying who can feed us meat because you felt it would be better for you in Egypt well I will give you what you're missing from your beloved egypt I'll give you your meat and you know the good news is this is not just going to be a one day barbecue not only not even two days you're going to have it for more than that not even Hamishayameen, Lo not 10 days, not 20 days. It's gonna go on for an all-you-can-eat uh barbecue for a month. Until it's coming out of your noses. We'll give it to you. Now, this is God telling Moses, this is what you tell the people. What's Moses' response to that? What should Moses' response to that be? You hear this. You're Moses, right? You've complained to God. How could you do this to me? And HaGadosh Baruch Hu says, You don't have to do it. I'm going to do it. Tell them this. What would What's Moshe's response supposed to be after that? Thank you. Thank you. That's not his response. What is it? That what? Yeah, God said this. He said, okay, great. Uh, That's not what happens here. For some reason, Moshe, this is a tough lesson for him. He says, 600,000 people on foot, he's telling God. "Right? What are you talking about? The 600,000 people on foot, I'm among them. I'm telling you, not only are you going to eat meat, you're going to eat meat for a month? You're telling me? I mean, is there... have you seen the flock? Is there enough flock to, to, to slaughter that's going to be able to feed them for a month? We can slaughter all the fish in the sea. There still wouldn't be enough for them. So clearly, Moshe, there's something going on for him. right? He is very stuck in the logistical situation that he still believes he needed to deal with. Because think about it, right? His first thing is, how many animals am I going to get to slaughter for these people originally? And then he's God saying, we're going to do this for a month. And Moshe is thinking, that's a very weird addition here. I'm in the middle of them. What does that mean I'm in the middle of them? Someone's going to have to slaughter all the meat that you're saying they're going to have. And, And so he still cannot allow God to do this. Do you, are you with me? You see this? It's it's, it's so clear in the psukim. He can't bring himself to let go. Because when Hakadosh Baruch Hu says, I've got this, tell them this, Moshe still sees himself entangled in it, right? He's got to somehow do this, which is why he says, <laughs> He starts exaggerating. Why? We we'll won't get all the fish out of the sea. And then Hakadosh Baruch Hu says to him, I said, I'm going to do it. Does my hand fall short? Did I ask you to figure out the logistics of this? I said, I'm going to do it. I will figure out the logistics. That's not for you. Leave it with me. Is essentially what Rosh was saying. Now you'll see. You will see whether what I say happens or not. Which is a very simple, but very powerful rebuke to Moshe. Rabbein, right? God's being gentle with him, which I also think is beautiful because he's slamming the people, right? But you would think that after that last response, who should be angry with Moshe as well. He's not angry with Moshe. He's being very gentle with Moshe. What he's saying is, HaYad Hashem Tiktar, Moshe, I told you I will do it. You think I can't do this? I can do this. Watch. You'll see. So Moshe goes and he tells the Ham what it's supposed to say. And then all of a sudden, you know, the quail, right? You know the story. So, what is the lesson here? This is what I suggest the lesson is on this point, and it goes directly to the thing. It is true. It is true that God does not put us in situations that we cannot handle. He does, however, put us into situations that we cannot handle and expect us to know the difference. It is up to us to know whether we can handle it or not. And that's not an easy thing to know. And when we determine that we do not have what it takes to be able to get through a particular situation, there is only one other option. You give it to him. And when you give it to him, you give it to him. Which is why HaKadosh Baruch to say to Moshe, I said, give it to me. Moshe couldn't give it to him. Moshe kept holding on to it. And Baruch said, I said, I'll take care of it. You don't have to worry about these logistics. Can you do that, Moses? Can you let me do it? And that's the Nisayon here for Moshe. Because Moshe is on such a high level at this point, and he really is, he immediately knows that he can't do this. That's already huge, right? For most of us, we wouldn't even get to, to step one. We would get to, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening to me. How am I supposed to do this? And so on and so forth. Moshe is clear about the fact that he cannot do this. And that's why he's so upset with the because he can't believe that God will put this in prison because the only option for Moshe is you put me in submission you expect me to do it. But I can't do it. And what Moshe, HaGadosh Baruch Hu's response is, oh, but no, I am not expecting you to do it. I'm dealing with them the way I, I need to deal with them. This is a unique situation. But Moshe, this is for you too. Can you let me do it? And that is what Moshe finds it. And it's so beautiful that he finds it difficult. I mean, you can see so clearly because the first responses tell them this and Moshe goes back to that saying, but how are you going to do this? You don't have enough. To, you can't. I can't. We can't. And HaKadosh Rahu says, I'm going to do it. Does my hand fall short? Can you let it go? And that, in that, is the issue of Bitahon. And it directly relates to Yishtatut. And if Moshe Rabbeinu, in Bamidbar, right, this is not at the beginning of his career, this is this is after Matan Torah, right? Where Moshe's face is shining, right? He sees already. If at, at that point Moshe finds it difficult to be able to let God do it, well, it's not an easy thing. And very often when we think that we're being put in situations in which we can't handle, not always. The only option there is to recognize that indeed you can't, and you need to let him. Ah, but that's tough. That's the tough one. So, to distill this in practical terms, the most, it's a really a very basic point. right? People think that bitachon, I'm saying it's a, it's a simple point, not a simple action. The point, the principle is simple. People think it's very convoluted. It is not. The point of connection, or the point where bitachon and what we call nowadays hishtadlut meet, is in the question of our own abilities and the things that we can control. It's very simple. If you have the ability, and you can control it, it's yours. If you don't have the ability, and you cannot control it, it isn't. And if you try to control it when you can't, and you try to do it when you can't, that's where things get bad. That's where things start to go down, because we're doing the things that Hakadosh Baruch Hu is meant to do. And the challenge of our lives is to know the difference between what I can and cannot control. That's why there's a very beautiful. I mean, not to you know, there's this the, the, they call the Serenity Prayer. Right? It's a very beautiful prayer. It's very simple, but it's precisely this point. Right? How's it go? Grant me the wisdom to. Uh, Know, uh, control the things I control. Uh, what's the how's it go? <laughs> I don't remember it by heart. I need somebody we need somebody who's an AA. Uh, so, so. The wisdom to know uh, whatever what to know what I can control and I can't control whatever it is. But the, the point of that, right? The point of the serenity prayer is you are asking An-Kadosh Baruch Hu for the wisdom to do the have right? right? If I don't have that, I'm that I'm in that I There it is, thank you. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. Wisdom to know the difference. It's an eloquent, simple, beautiful point of this entire suya. Why? Because when I say, what, what, the prayer there is to know the difference. Because that's our problem. The biggest problem we have is in being able to know the difference between what I can and cannot control. Because we believe that we can control things that we can't and we believe that we cannot control things that we can. More often than not, the things that we cannot control that we think we can are other people. More often than not, the things that we can control that we believe we cannot are ourselves. We think that we can't control the things that we do, we just do them and that if we there's nothing we can do about it. And yet we, we believe that we can control other people far more than we believe we can control. And so we keep trying to do it. And the reality is that we can. And that's just one example. It's not the only thing, right? But what I'm suggesting is, and what I'm saying here is, at the nexus of bitahon and hishtadlut, right? One should always trust in God. Always. That trust permeates everything that we do. There's a trust in God that I also have the abilities to do what it is that I can do. And that I'm going to be able to, you know, the sun's going to rise tomorrow. And I'm going to be able to, do, to wake up in the morning and, you know, have my, and all of that. We, we trust that. But the nexus of this particular point between Hishtad and Bitachon, or our free choice for that matter and Bitachon is in the question of what we can and cannot control, what we can and cannot do, our abilities and we are not clear on that. We assume that we just have clarity of that. We absolutely do not have clarity of that. We are terribly confused about it. And that's not even Moshe's problem. Moshe is the second degree of that problem. Moshe is very clear on what he can and cannot control. And he knows that he cannot control the meat situation. He knows it. And because he knows it, he's upset with Akadosh Baruch I'll finish and I'll hear the questions in a minute. right? But I want to play this out. Yeah? I'm sorry if I'm being a bit repetitive, but it's an important idea. And if I say it a little bit repetitive, then you'll remember that I said it, and you'll forgive me for repeating myself mm-hmm. later. Right? That, that's the important thing. It's the question of control, and we have tremendous difficulty with knowing the difference. So, in every situation where it is where we find ourselves having a, a challenge with. What we should do, how much we should do, what what you know is on me to do, what's on God to do. Ask yourself the following question: What in this can I genuinely control? And if you can genuinely control it, then do it. Can you control your health to a certain degree? Then it's your responsibility to take care of it. If you're not feeling well, do you have the ability to heal yourself? Not necessarily. Are you a doctor? Well, maybe you are, maybe you are a doctor. It's a question. But notice what I'm talking about here is ability, not freedom. People also make the mistake of thinking that freedom is equal to ability. And it is not. So, for example, I was I was talking to an addict who believed, you know, free choice. He's a, he's a God-fearing, well, you know, he claims to be a God-fearing person. You know, he believes in his free choice and he doesn't buy this whole, uh, you know, AA thing. Right, where you know you, you you've got to give it up to God and so on and so forth, and, and recognize that you have a problem controlling yourself and all of that. You know, I have free choice, and if I really want to do it, I'll do it. And what I said to him was, you are confusing free choice with ability, and you believe that just because you have the freedom to want to be better, that you have the ability to be better, and it's very possible that you do not. In the same way that people are handicapped in many other ways, right? Sometimes people want to walk, they're not able to. Sometimes people want to be able to run a marathon, they are not able to. Sometimes people want to be able to control their behaviors, and in certain situations, because of their psychological, you know, wiring and whatever it is, they are not able to. And the truth of the matter is, Chazal recognized this. I I gave a she'er on this. Chazal recognized the reality of addiction. What does come down to a person's ability, even when a person is an addict, is wanting to get better. Because what often an addict confuses is the difference between wanting to get better and wanting to want to get better. They're not the same. And more often than not, an active addict wants to want to get better, but does not want to get better. And it's only when one wants to get better, that they can go into the motions that help them get better. And much of that has to do with asking people for help. So in the same way that I will not tamper with the plumbing in my house, because I have no knowledge of how it works, nor any, am I interested in figuring out how it works, I realize that I cannot control it. And when I realize that, I call a plumber, because he can so when I'm in a situation in my life where I come to full determination, and I cannot control the situation or an aspect of a situation. I question well, what in this can I genuinely control? Can I prepare myself for war? Yes, I can. Can I get the number of troops that are necessary in order to be able to fight a war given the situation on the ground? Yes, I can. Can I train myself to be a strong soldier and, and study the tactics of war? And, and, and so, yes, I can. Well, should you then? Yes, you should. Can I control the outcome of the war? No, you can't. But you better get yourself ready to fight the best possible war that you can, because that you can control. And that is squarely a responsibility. Do I need to go to a doctor in order to be able to get better? Yes, you do. Why? Because you can. And that is squarely your responsibility. Can the doctor heal you? Maybe. Does he have a responsibility to do everything that he can to try and heal you? Yes, he does. Will it work? God knows. And that you give to God. And when you give it, to, and the point of this, right, the point of Moshe's story is, and this is gets to the point of Moshe, is and when you give it to him, give it to him. Don't partially give it to him don't give it to him with one eye open don't lean back and pretend that you were going to but now you can't do it anymore no, give it to him means give it to him and that is the hardest part of our lives and that's why it's done with Moshe in his highest levels because yeah, this is not easy stuff but it's what it's meant to be and that's why Rabbi B'chiyah bin B'chuda writes an entire shah, shah on to help us figure out how it is that we're supposed to do what Moshe struggled to do? And that's also why Akadosh was angry at him. He said, I know it's hard for you. Really. Give it to me. Can you do that? And finally Moshe does it. But if it's hard for him, it's hard for us. And we don't even get to the give it to him part until we figure out that we have to give it to him, which is the whole choice part of understanding the difference between control and not control. That is the whole issue of B'itachon and Hishdadut. You get that, you can answer every other question. That's the core. Okay? If there's questions now, if you want to have... Uh, thank you for your patience and letting me get that out. Yeah. Um, so I what Um I mean in essence you're really <laughs> into So I mean so, so in essence you're really into Victor Frankl territory. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No 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 That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the word. I'm saying, understand what in any given situation is yours and not yours. So what Victor's saying is, you might find yourself in a situation where the only thing that's left to you is how you respond, right? Mm-hmm. So he's giving an example of where the the limits are tremendous. Yeah. Okay. So you yes, But if I've understood, else, But you're not saying that giving it to God means it turns out okay. Giving it to God. Well, it depends what you mean by uh, okay. It depends what you mean by okay right what, one of the things that Rabbi Bahir points out is what we think is okay and this is not an evade to evade it right may not necessarily be what God recognizes as being the best outcome. So that's what we have to believe. In other words, if you genuinely believe in God as God, right as we understand God. God's not a sadist, right? He's not looking to get you, or to kill you, or to to hurt you, or to smash you. Yeah, what he's what may be is that Akadosh Baruch Hu is bringing you through elements that, in his understanding, he believes are the way that things need to be able to run for your life. Now, I recognize when I say that that I'm sweeping over uh, horrific realities. I really do recognize that. And and I say that knowing that there's more to the story than just that. Because if you look at something like the Holocaust, right, which everybody's, this first thing comes to everybody's mind when they think of the worst possible thing, right? If you look at something like that, there are broader things at play, right? Again, I'm talking theologically, talking, you know, in terms of, of, of our understanding of of uh, theodicy and, uh, and uh, providence and so on and so forth. It's a nation, it's not just individuals, right? And so there are very, there are other things that kind of come into play with regards to that. This still stands, you know, what, what it is that you do, you know, or what is it you try to control that situation, but there are other things at play in terms of, you know, why do these horrible things happen in the world? Which really to do with proper treatment is another class. Not that I could answer all of it properly because I, I've said before, I've said before, if there was one thing that I, I, I would want to ask God, right, that I don't feel that we've got all of my, you know, that is the issue of suffering. Not that I don't believe that suffering is part of human existence. It is. That's another thing that Viktor Frankl writes very, very importantly, right, that if you are alive, you're suffering. <laughs> there's no, there's no, The course, there are certain levels of suffering and certain, you know, levels of horror and suffering that, you know, one can't help but question. Yeah. But I still think that it nonetheless, it doesn't diminish this, this way of living life, which I think is very important any other questions yeah um, you can you can give it to god but uh, you got to take it back as well, well when, we the prob- when the when prob- you the problem there could well be a time fairly soon after that where you're able to cope yeah. so it's yeah. not it's not a, it's not a, a a complete path. That's what, yes, absolutely. That's why I say it's it's in every given situation. You always have to keep asking yourself that same question, right? In this situation, what can I control and what can I not? And it's very possible. What you could not control yesterday, you can control today. That's very possible. We could have studied plumbing, you know, over the. the uh, I which I will not, but it could. be. Anybody? Yeah. Good. Okay. Then we will end What is it? I don't know how to do it. What am I doing? Who's? Okay. Um, so uh, stay tuned, everyone, for uh, next week where we'll have the uh, third and final part of the awesome series. And uh, thank you so much everyone for uh, joining us. Um, thank you so much. Pleasure. Good night, everyone.